is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, if you were to take a class in comparative religions or buy a book in that, uh, with that subject, you're going to find a few things to be true. And one would be that there's some truth to be found in just about every religion in the world. No doubt, Buddha had some amazingly insightful and deep thoughts about what's real. And our country is in desperate need of the reformations of Confucius. Um, the restoration of language or restoration of words comes to mind, if you know what that means. He would be good for us. And then you would see that um, in these books or the classes that you're going to see, Christianity usually shows up in top three of these religions in comparison and contrast. You're going to see that Jesus is called a great leader, um, someone that had maybe even put him at first. He's, he's the best spiritual leader. He had the most impact. He had, for example, the largest following in history, whatever it might be. And so they'll, they'll put that out there, and that might all be true, but we're going to look at a paragraph today where Paul comes in and says this, Jesus is incomparable. He is not to be compared to. He's different. And when we say different, it, we say he's not like any other man. And there's difference in degrees, and then there's a whole different in kind. And Jesus is different in kind. He is not the best amongst apples. He's an orange. And you don't compare apples and oranges. It is our tendency, even in the church, not to deny Jesus or even calling him the Christ, but to dethrone him, to put him, listen carefully, to put him in prominence, but not preeminence. We want to put him in a place of prominence, but not preeminence. And prominence means first amongst others. And preeminence means over here. You want to you know, you want to feel what this means, guys? Here's what you do. <clears throat> Married, girlfriend, go buy yourself some flowers. Go bring them to your sweetheart and say, I want, I want you to know, honey, that you are prominent in my affections. And you're going to feel the difference between prominence and preeminence. She's going to tell you, prominent? I'm first amongst what? With whom? I don't want prominence. I want preeminence. I don't want something snapping at my heels that's fighting from second place to first. I don't want it to be another woman. I, 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 don't, I don't want it to be a football team. I don't want it to be some fishing cove. I don't want it to be a promotion or some you know, deer season. I'm over here, 
Everything else is over here. I don't want to be prominent. I want to be preeminent because, she'll say, I will not compete. Get it? I'm watching light bulbs go on all over the auditorium. (laughs) Oh, what? Oh, yeah, that's it. How is Jesus different in kind than in degree? How is he preeminent? Jesus is God. He is divine. He's not like other men. He's much more than a mighty leader, a wise teacher, an influential spiritual divine or um, sage. And, and what we're going to see in this paragraph that we're going to look at today, I would, I would say quite, it is, it, is the, it is the densest most complete paragraph about this topic of the preeminence of Jesus Christ that you'll find in the Bible, maybe anywhere written. And because of that, forgive me because we should spend weeks on this, but I just like try to keep, like we prayed this morning that everyone's mind would be open for this. Let me give you the outline so that you kind of understand how we're walking through this. It's another uh, series of statements, phrases that Paul will, will run, throw at us rapid fire. So here's the outline. And the first thing we're going to talk about is he's going to talk about the nature of Jesus. And that nature is the, that he is in the exact likeness of the Father. And then it's, he's going to spend some time talking about Jesus' relationship with creation, that he is the, the firstborn of creation, he's the, the creator of all things. And not only that, all things are for him. And then we're going to look at how he's related to the new creation, that is the church, that he's the beginning and he's the head of that church, okay? So that's the outline. In these few few sentences, every one of those steps are going to be telling you that he is preeminent, not prominent. He's different in in kind, not in degree. He cannot be compared. Let's look at the first one where it says the nature of Jesus. First, uh, or Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and the Son is in the image of the invisible God. Seems simple enough. It, it's not. The word image, quite literally in Greek, is icon, and that means a picture or the exact likeness. It means he is, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And so that's why when Philip, in, if you know the New Testament story, Philip asked Jesus, would you show us the Father? And Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I am the exact likeness of him. The the quest of man is to know God. The quest of God is for him to be known. And so there's, there's ways that God has revealed himself to us. And this is the culmination of that, right? Like in, in, in those general, in the broadest sense of what is God like is found in what's called general revelation, nature and creation. And so we, we are able to deduce his divine attributes by looking at the way creation works. But that's not enough. We need to know more specifics. So he sends us words that are more specific and progressively specific, and that's what the Bible is. It holds itself apart from other books that are religious or from God as being more historically valuable, verifiable, and, and valuable. And, it's, and, and the story of God working through mankind, his nature is becoming more clear and more specific in his promises and in the way he deals with people. But that is climaxed in this man, Jesus, because he is the very image of the Father. 
He is specific. Jesus of Nazareth, that's what God's like. So Jesus the Christ, he's the perfect revelation of who God is and what man was meant to be. He's not like others. He's different over here. And that's why Hebrews says this. The writer says, Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word and his power. Jesus' nature is preeminent. He is outstanding. He is, um, he, he is better than anyone or everyone else. But listen, when I say he's better, it's a different kind of better. It's a different kind of better. So forgive me the trivial comparison here, but I'm, I'm saying that you using this to help make sense out of this word preeminence. If Jesus were a professional tennis player, okay, okay, sorry, it's trite. But if Jesus were a professional tennis player, he would be better than everyone else. But he'd be a different kind of better is what I'm trying to show you. Okay, so it wouldn't be like um, as a professional he would, would have won more grand slams than anyone in the history of tennis. It wouldn't even be the almost miraculous, impossible achievement of being, complete, being undefeated his whole career. If Jesus were a professional tennis player, he'd be better in kind. And so he would never have lost a single point, ever. And he would be such a different kind of tennis player that every, <laughs> every game and match would be so sudden that the International Tennis Federation would say, you can't play tennis with us anymore. Because we're all racing for who's prominent and you're preeminent. So good for you, you got that, everybody else is lining up for this other thing. So who is Jesus Christ? He is God. He's the final declaration of the specific revelation of the nature of God. You want to see the Father? See the Son. See Jesus. Study his life. What does that say about the nature and the love of God? That he would humble himself and become a baby. That he would give his life for us so that we might, in our stupidity, stop running and accept his engagement. What does the life of Jesus reveal about the nature of God? That's what he is. He's the very nature of God. The next thing that Paul talks about here in his preeminence is that his work in creation. 15 and 16, this is loaded. Actually, it goes into 17, but we can only take so much at a time. The firstborn over all creation, Jesus is, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I told you it was dense. We're going to have to look at four phrases separately, four bites. The first one is it says the firstborn of all creation. Now, firstborn can be misunderstood in our culture because we think firstborn means born first. That's not what it means. In their culture and for thousands of years, and maybe even still in the Middle East, firstborn had to do, was a title and had to do with authority or prominence. It had to do with importance, not in chronological order. And so there was 
there's a fancy Latin phrase for it, but there's a law of firstborn. And the, and the law of the firstborn meant whoever the father chose to wear that title would be equal in, it'd be, he'd be the same as the father. He'd have the same wealth and power and status. So, for example, here's a good example of firstborn not being chronolog- chronological. David, King David, granted this title to Solomon. Solomon was by far not the first son that David had, but Solomon inherited the kingdom, the power, the authority, everything that David had. Firstborn means equal to the father in power and dignity and nature. Okay? And that's why, by the way, in the Bible, you'll see in the New Testament story in the life of Jesus, think about this. Because people will come to Jesus and they will fall to the ground and they will worship him as God. These are Jews. They will worship him as God and they do not violate the first, second, or third commandments. And Jesus is fine with that. Sure, it's appropriate because, right, I, you know, I'm the firstborn of all creation. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not like other men. I'm preeminent. That's why he allows that to happen. And then it goes on to say that in him all things were created. Look at verse 16 again. I'll put it on the screen. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. So the second thing I wanted to look at here is that he created all things. He created all the physical things. He created the planets and the stars and the solar systems and the galaxies. He created the universe. He created all things. You can zoom in on this if you want. He created the grass and the trees and the streams. And what this means is he made it, he owns it. And so you'll see, listen, you'll read the, read the stories. You'll have encounters between Jesus and nature where he just, he just rules it. And so he's out on the boat with his 12 disciples, and a huge storm kicks up, and they're afraid for their lives. And Jesus stands up and says, sit, stay. And it does. Even the winds and the waves obey him, the disciples say. Because the winds stopped immediately and the the sea calmed miraculously and it scared them. And do you know why he could do that? Because he made it. He's sovereign. He rules it. He reigns over it. It's his to play with. It says he created the invisible things, and the invisible things could be things even in our context of now that we've had some advancements in science, it's things like radiation and electricity and gravity, these things that are unseen. He created those things. The wisest men that have ever, you know, enjoyed our our planet will say things about gravity, right, or electricity or radiation. They'll say, I discovered that. Jesus is not like other men. He doesn't say, I discovered that. He says, I made that. Yeah. He's preeminent. And he invented other invisible things, concepts, you know, thoughts, things like love and grace and truth and life. He created those things. He created the invisible things that are supernatural, demons, the angelic world, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, right? He made these things. And occasionally you see in the Bible, listen to the stories, read those in the, in the uh, biographies. He'll have encounters with demons. And you don't know this about demons, 
but they have the attribute of being very polite when they come encounter with their creator. And so there'll be a legion of them against one man, but not like any other man. And they will say, if you would just please tell us to go into those pigs over there, we'll run right off that cliff and kill ourselves and won't be a bother to you. Don't judge us now. And he says, yeah, okay. And they do. And you know why? Because he made them. And so he rules them. He reigns over them. He's sovereign. That's what it means. It means he's sovereign. John put it this way. This is how he starts his biography. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And all things were created by him. That's what it says. There's no thing that hasn't been created by him, John says. That's what he's saying. So it doesn't just say that he's firstborn and that he created all things. This next phrase, all things were created for him. He's not, he's the end of all creation as like a means to an end. Look what it says in verse 16 at the end of it. There it says, all things have been created by him. Sure, we just saw that. And then for him, for him. That means he's the object of creation. He's the purpose of creation. All of creation is leading to his glory. And what is his glory? His glory is his story. This, this soul-blowing, mind-bending story of God in a, in a cradle that would come and live amongst us and then die in unjustly so for us that he would be raised again and then return ultimately to make all things right. That story is the glory of all creation, and it leads not to a man but to this man. Jesus is the alpha and the omega of all creation. He's the summation and purpose of all those things. Last, the fourth phrase is he maintains all creation. Verse 17 he is before all things, and in, all, in him all things are held together. It consists. Everything con- stays within itself. The reason we have a cosmos instead of chaos. The dark matter that holds subatomic particles together, well, that's him. He's got his fingerprints on everything. That's Jesus. Jesus is king. Jesus is not a king. Jesus is not the best king. Jesus is the king. He's the king of all kings. And he rules and he reigns and he is sovereign of all things that were created. So if you look at this passage, so far the paragraph is saying the very nature of God is preeminent, of Jesus is preeminent. He's the exact representation of the Father. It says in the context of creation, he's not like other, crea- he's not like other parts of creation. He's the firstborn. He's, he's the author. He's the source of it. And he's not just the source of it. He's not just holding it all together. He's the end of it. He's the purpose of all creation. And then if that weren't enough, now in verse 18, he's going to talk about a whole new creation. Jesus is what his rela- Jesus' relationship to the new creation, and the new creation is the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that he himself will come to have preeminence in all things, so that in him he will come to have preeminence.
preeminence in all things. Let's look at these three phrases. <laughs> it's thick, isn't it? The head of the body. Head of the body. All body parts are not necessarily of the same value. Just personally, my right hand and arm, I love it. It does, it does good things for me. My left arm and hand, uh, it's stupid, it's weak, and it's lazy. And I'm convinced the only reason I have it at some times is to give me a counterbalance to help my posture. It's, I mean, honestly, my left hand has almost no skills available. I mean, I'll tell you, though, in college, I almost cut my left thumb off, and, and for eight weeks, I was especially appreciative of, of my left side of my body, at least for that period of time. The point is, not all body parts are created like with the same importance. There's different kinds of body parts, aren't there? There's a lot over here, right? Most of our body parts are interdependent upon one another. We need them. It's hard to live without them. And then there's the head. The head is preeminent. We are ultimately dependent, not interdependent. We are ultimately dependent on the head. If it leaves, we die. Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. He gives the church life, and he is sovereign over the church. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on. The next phrase is, he's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Uh, what does that mean? Beginning, one writer said it nicely, he's the author of the new day. He's, he's the initiator of a, a new age. And how does he become the author of that new day? How does he become the finder, you know, right, uh, the creator of the new things? Does he do it through his teaching? No. Does he do it through all the miracles? No. Does he do it through feeding of the 5,000? Wow, everybody's full finally. No. What does it say? He's, he's the beginning and the firstborn from all the dead. He's firstborn. Remember what that means. He wasn't born first. It doesn't mean he was the first one to be resurrected, but he was the most important because his resurrection was different in kind than in degree. His resurrection, there'll be no other death again. And when he was laid into that tomb, that tomb became a womb. And when the cave was split open and he came forth by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new day began. A new creation started. He was firstborn of a new era. That was the day death died. And so what that means to the church, because he's talking about he's the head of the church, this new creation, what that means to the church is that, watch this now, someday, right? Oh, wait. Um, Right, I'm not there yet, right? I'm so sorry. Oh, say. He's the firstborn of the dead. Oh, yeah, oh, we got to do the so what? Okay, so what? Important part. Of, by the way, this is the most important part of the passage. Don't forget this, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Where's that in my notes? Don't forget that. So he's born in the, so watch this now, verse 18, because this is the culmination of our whole time together. This is all pointing to the application of these truths. So that. We here last week, so that means apply this now, right? So what we're talking about here is look at verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that, so that he himself will come and have preeminence in all things. So that he himself, this is what you apply right now, that he would have preeminence in all things. 
So that what? His very nature is in the image of the Father. He's preeminent in his nature. He is preeminent in the context of creation. He's not like other creation because he caused other creations. He caused it to exist, right? He maintains its existence. All of creation is for his preeminent existence. All that, so that, so that he can be preeminent among all things. And so his death and resurrection, right, the story of his, the story of his life as the head of the church, his death and resurrection is so that he himself, it says, he himself will become preeminent in all things. Now, if you have a translation that you're, you have at home or you brought with you and it doesn't stutter, it's missing kind of the power of the original language that Paul wrote in because, as some of you know, if you speak almost any other language but Spanish, you don't have to put you know, the pronoun attached to it because it's attached to like, the end of the verb, right? So you know if it's a he or she or whatever it's applying to. But, but when an author comes in and says, no, no, I'm going to add the he, and I'm going to add the he on the end of the verb too. And so Paul does that because he's saying he himself. And he says, it, basically what he's saying is he exclusively, he alone, he, he alone can, can do this place where he will be preeminent in all things. Here's what one author said. It was awesome. He says this, that he himself means that he might alone be supreme among all things, sole head of all things, Preeminent in all things. Over here, he will not be made prominent. He, he himself will be preeminent in all things. So how does that relate to the church, right? That he'd be the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead? How does that apply to the church? Here's what it means. This new age, this new life, this new reign, someday, someday, all of creation will enjoy the preeminence of Jesus the Christ, right? There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and, and all things will be made new, and all, the, right? and all the earth shall shout his praise. We sang that how many times today? All the earth shall shout his praise. Someday that will help happen. This new age, this new thing that the church is part of, it's it, someday the invisible things will finally be dealt with. Demons will be sent into the, the lake of fire, and death itself, the last enemy, will finally be destroyed. It means that someday he'll be preeminent in actuality over those things. It means that someday he will be preeminent in all of mankind, that every man, woman, and child will bow their knees and souls to who he truly is. And, we, and we, will, we will beat our swords into plowshares and we will live one with one another in working hand in, in, in hand, shoulder to shoulder, because someday the whole world will be filled with the enlightenment of who he is, with the truth that we so often try to avoid, with the power of love that could cause us to do these other things. But every man, woman, child, demon, angel, all of creation will see him for who he is. He is preeminent, and all creation will praise his name. That's what it means someday. And the someday is today in the church. That's what he's saying, is the church is the is the first taste of someday. The church is supposed to be different in kind. 
It's supposed to be not like anything else. And, 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 and we, be, we, we can do this because we recognize who Jesus is in, in his nature, in his, in his being creator, as being the head and the firstborn. We, 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 we kind of have inside information on this because we believe what the Bible has said. And it's different in kind than in degree to other, other kind of organizations because in the world there's so much, uh, what, right now, bigotry and racism and hatred and the church. If it is supposed to be the taste of things to come, there's, there's, no, there's no race or nationalities or, or you know, ethnic ethnic groups that we compete with, we're working together in unity because we're under one head, the firstborn of the new creation. (laughs) Those sorts of arguments are so trivial in comparison to what we have. The church is enlightened because we understand, because we've received this revelation of the nature of God and the nature of man, what what man should be. We, We know God because we know Christ. And we know that he is sovereign. We know that he's powerful. We know that he is preeminent. Not primary, not prominent, but preeminent. We know that. And so in a world, we stand, the church is supposed to stand in contrast to the ignorance of the world. It's not their fault, but we have the revealed nature and the will of God. We pray for that. The revelation of God, very specifically. The world continues to digress and becomes more ragged. The church is newer every day. The, church, the, the world is in division and hatred, and the church is supposed to be, right, in unity. The world is in darkness, and the church is the light that's supposed to be up on a hill. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's someday. And here's why. Because that king... That risen king, that risen king is the head of the church, and he rules us. He reigns over us. He is sovereign in my life, and I acknowledge that. That's a powerful passage. Here's how it works personally, right? That we have to decide in our own souls, is Jesus preeminent or is he prominent? Is he, is he primary? Right? Think of the wife with this bouquet of flowers that thought she was getting a compliment. Because preeminent means that he is the object of my worship and the reason I obey and motivates me to love. And primary or prominent is that he's just first in line. And listen, if, 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 if Jesus Christ is God, and he is, then there's nothing outside the boundaries of where he rules. I, I mean, there's no place where you can say, okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, we're going to keep this right over here. That's mine. I mean, everything in some respects is up to negotiation. Everything. Every value you have, every conviction, every tradition you've held, every behavior, every relationship is up for negotiation, it's up for him to decide, and he can say you can keep those things or he can say no. And it's not up to you because he's preeminent. He reigns. He's sovereign, 
That's what it means for him to be this resurrected king. Everything, in everything, so that in everything he would be preeminent in your life. And this is where most per- people in church, this is where they go, this is where they mess up. This is, where, this is why their lives aren't right in many respects, but some, certainly their theology, is they make him, Jesus, prominent, primary, but not preeminent. And sometimes it starts off with just work, and he's first, and I'll be ethical, and I'll be diligent. But, but work is snapping at his heels, and it, sometimes we worship the promotion instead of the creator. Sometimes we evolve out of that, and then it becomes some kind of relationship where somehow Jesus drifts over here into primary from preeminent, or, right? And, and then he's first, but the children are a close second. That's not where he, he doesn't belong there. He won't go there. He's not compliant that way. And you can do that with your husband or wife as well. So the application today is, is Jesus in your soul where he belongs? He won't compete for first. Jesus is God. And, and his, his nature is preeminent. He is like the Father. He is, he is preeminent in all of creation. He's preeminent in the new creation. Is he preeminent in your life? He, he is not here to make us better. He, he's not here to like, tune us up, right? Or be a supplement or a friend. He's the king of all kings. He is God Almighty. And we, when he is that in your life, everything is where it ought to be. Let him rule you. Just let him be who he is, preeminent. Let him reign. Let him be sovereign. Just, just let go. Just, just let go. And let the power of this man like no other man reorder you. Just rearrange you. That's what the passage means. I want to pray a quick prayer of submission to that, and then I found a prayer worthy of this passage that I'd like you to pray with me. Lord, I I want to give you supremacy, preeminence in every area of my life. Everything your word says, everywhere your will touches, you own that. The winds and the waves, they obey you. Lord, I want to be that way. I will not hinder your supremacy in your will or your word. There will be no place in my life where I'll say, no, 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 no. That's mine. You don't touch that. Lord, I'd ask that you would reorder me and reprogram us. Here's a great prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, for Jesus, we are grateful. Thank you. Jesus, who came from heaven to earth, from earth to the grave, and rose in so doing, became the author and the perfecter of our faith and our high priest, we thank you. For in him who established in time and space what eternity was, that he is God and he is almighty and he is holy and he is good and we thank you for Jesus. For him who shall establish to all mankind someday, someday, that he will be preeminent in all things, that God is good, that you are loving and we are thankful. And more important, we thank you that this one who is actually the head of the body, he is the beginning of the family. He's the king of a nation. He's the shepherd of a flock. He is the vine of a branch. And we thank you that we've been allowed to participate in this life and in the wisdom that we know of him. Our Father, we see a darkened world and all men someday will worship you and they will love you and they will honor you. And they shall see you as preeminent in all things. And so might, oh dear God, that we the church would come to a consistency right now. That that someday would be right now, right here in this church. That the world might behold us and know that you are good. For our ignorance of you and our lack of discipline to know who you are, would you forgive us? We who are intending to keep our way pure, according to your word, would you forgive us when we wander? We have wandered. We who were told to be loving, to establish what is true in humanity, to be a united church, would you forgive us for our gossip, our slander, our bigotry, our prejudice, our sin, our conformity to the contamination of this world? We who are intended to show the life of God, that the life of obedience, forgive us when we are not that way. And oftentimes we are not filled or controlled by your spirit or guided by your word. We are rebels. We are fools trying to do our own thing. Would you forgive us? And we who were meant to stand in the gap and proclaim to a dying world that in Christ there is life, Father, Forgive us for our silence. And we'll ask you and your grace to make what we shall be and what we should be a real thing till we see you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake we all pray. Amen.